Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do praise your name this morning. We thank you that you have called us together to gather together to sing your praises and to confess our great need for you and to celebrate what Jesus has done on the cross and uh, and how that has reconciled us to you. We give you praise and thanks for your word and what it teaches us. And we pray now, Lord, that as we look at this incredible thing that Jesus does, would you use it to change us and transform us, make us more like your son? Pray that you'd use this time to equip us to be able to run with the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I think a lot of you know that I just got back from vacation in what I call sunny Minnesota. And uh, it was it was awesome. If you got the email, you know, about the nine degree day. That was memorable. Um, and, you know, we, we flew there and we have uh, four children. One is still not born yet, but she's real. She exists. So anyway, we count her. And uh, but our youngest that's not in my wife's womb is uh, almost two. In fact, she'll be two next month. And so she looks like a two year old. And when you are flying with the child that looks like they could be two, you have to bring some sort of documentation to show that they're not yet two because they would like to charge you for a seat for that child. But until they're two, they're free. So we brought a, a shot record, uh, the record of when Hattie got her shots, and it reminded me of the time that I went and took Noah, our firstborn son, uh, when I took him to get his shots when he was a newborn it was such a weird experience. Uh, you know, you walk in with your child and you set your child down on this little uh, table and then the doctor comes over and stabs your child with a syringe. I mean, it's just a weird moment, okay? And basically, the uh, woman who was giving the shot sort of warned me. She knew I was first-time dad, and so she said, uh, you should know that this your child's going to be in a lot of pain. They're, he's going to scream. And, and sometimes children hold their breath right after they get stuck with the needle. And I don't want that to scare you. And I'm not paying attention because, you know, I, I don't do that sometimes. And so she's saying all these things that I would imagine would have been very helpful if I'd really been focusing on it. And then she comes over and she goes, okay, here we go. And she sticks the needle in his leg. And my little newborn son goes, <gasps> and he starts, his hands are shaking and he's not breathing. He's getting red and then purple. And I'm like saying, Malfunction, malfunction, you know, what's going on here? Something's wrong, do something. And she's like, well, can, I, I kind of told you that this was going to happen. And then she goes, oh, by the way, it's probably going to get pretty loud here in, in about a second. And then it came, and Noah just screamed at the top of his lungs, finally letting out that air and just this blood-curdling scream. And I was like, this is not cool. I just, I did this to my son. This is horrible. And, uh, you know, she kind of talked me through it, and I, I survived. And Noah did too. And... Um, but the, the reality is, like, it was so hard next time, the next time when Lydia, my, my daughter, our second born, when she needed her shots, remembering what that was like, I did what any good father would do. I said, Hannah, you should take Lydia to get her shots. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. You, you, are, you know that you are placing your child in a situation where they're going to experience pretty severe pain as far as they know anyway. But you do it because you love them and because it's, it's actually gracious of you to do something that hurts but will be better for them in the end. 
one of the things that we see in this passage is that God is our Father and God graciously allows us to experience hardship uh, and even suffering in order to soften our hearts towards His glory and His love. He, he allows us to go through these very difficult things because He knows that we need that so that we will be softened towards Him and that we will trust Him. So one of the main things we want to see this morning is that and that we always need to be looking for Jesus in a storm. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. If you're making an outline, I want to talk about uh, two things this morning. Hardship on purpose and hardship for a purpose. Those are the two things we're going to focus on this morning. Hardship on purpose and then hardship for a purpose. If you... uh, Still have your Bible open, that's great. If you don't, I encourage you to open it back up. We're going to walk right through this passage, and uh, I think it would be great if you could see the words as we look at them. But let's look at verse 45 through 48, and we're just going to walk right through these verses, uh, looking at how Jesus sends his followers into hard situations on purpose. Look at 45. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd little context, if you remember from last week, Michael preached about the feeding of the 5,000. These two things happen in the same day. So they have just seen this amazing miracle. Jesus has just fed 5,000 men. So if you count everybody, it's more like 10, maybe 15,000 people. Incredible miracle, incredible moment. And then what it says is, look at it again, verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get in the boat and go. He made them go. In fact, the Greek word that we translate there as made, it can even be translated a little stronger. You can translate it as compel or even force. What we see here is Jesus forced his disciples into the boat. Maybe even shoved them into the boat and shoved the boat out into the water. He made them go. And a lot of pastors and theologians that look at this assume that if he had to make them go, maybe they didn't want to leave. And who would, right? What an amazing moment to be a follower of Jesus, to be associated with Jesus. I mean, he has just done this incredible miracle. He's just fed thousands and thousands of people from a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And that is like, that's not the time you want to leave. I mean, if I was one of the disciples right then, I would have said, this is amazing. We're not, we're not, we're never going anywhere. We're going to have a building campaign right now and we're going to build a big church and here's our mega church. And I mean, it just would have been this hard, hard thing to say, okay, everybody's amazed. Everybody's wants you to be king and we're going to leave. But he does. He makes them leave. Maybe you felt like Jesus was making you do something that you didn't want to do before. So he makes them get into this boat. Look at verse 46 then. Uh, He says, And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Such an important verse for understanding what's happening here. Mark, in his gospel, likes to develop themes. And we actually only see Jesus praying in Mark's gospel three times. We see him praying in chapter 1, verse 35. And that was when Jesus had done some miracles. He had cast out some demons and everybody was looking for him. And it says that he had gone off to be by himself to pray. And what's interesting is after he prays, he does something rather hard in that chapter one. He does something rather hard. What he does is not all that dissimilar from from what we're seeing today in our passage. Uh, What he does in that situation is everybody's looking for him. Everybody's excited about these miracles that he has performed yet he says 
that they need to leave. He says we need to go on to the next towns to preach to the other towns because that's why he came out. So that seems like that's kind of a hard thing to do, to walk away from all these people who are showing interest. The second time we pray is what we're seeing today, or the second time we see him pray. And then the third time we see him in Mark chapter 14, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying about the hardest thing he's ever going to face, the cross. He is praying and saying to his Father in heaven, if there's any way you can remove this cup from me, let's do that. But thankfully he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so we know he did go on to the cross. But what you see is Jesus in Mark's gospel seems to be spending time alone praying before he does difficult things. So how does that inform our understanding of what's happening here? What's so difficult? Look at verse 47. So this is, he's just been praying now and it says, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And so now we know that the boat is a ways out in the water. In Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter 14, he says they were a long way from land. So he, they're out there and Jesus is up on this mountain and it says 48, He saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. So he's watching them, and he sees what is happening. He sees that they are making headway. That means making progress, moving forward. They're in a boat. They're rowing. uh, they're, They're trying to get across this lake. And he said, it says that they were making headway painfully now that word painfully is a greek word that also means torment and torture so what's happening is these guys are in a very difficult situation they are basically in torment they're experiencing a very very hard situation and the reason is this incredible wind it says the wind was against them and this wind that mark is referring to here was a very famous wind it was called the sharkia which was a word that meant shark and on this lake, it was known for this incredible wind that would come because the cool air would come down over the mountains and smash into the warm air rising off the lake and create these incredible gale force winds and huge waves. And so they are out there and they are painfully, they're, they're just not able to move forward. They've hit a, a wind wall. They're in torment. And Jesus sees this and it's the, at the fourth watch of the night now. And that would have been around 3 a.m., between 3 and 6 a.m., uh, Jesus is going to go to them. But think about them at this point. If they left in the evening, which we assume they did, if it's now around 3 a.m., they've been rowing, trying to get across this lake. It shouldn't have taken them that long. They've been rowing now for six, seven, eight hours. Incredible, uh, incredibly hard conditions. Uh, they're surely exhausted. They're surely very frustrated. I don't know if you've ever tried to row a boat into the wind, a canoe or anything. It is the worst thing ever because you go a little bit and then it blows you back uh, out of where you're trying to go. It is so frustrating. So they're exhausted. They're frustrated. This wind is sending them all over this lake. Uh, the waves are high. And this is where Jesus made them go. Jesus made them get into this boat and head across into this wind, this famous wind. 
So it makes sense then why he was spending time alone praying because he was he knew he was doing something very difficult. He was sending his disciples into a very hard situation and he was doing so on purpose. And it's a hard thing to do. Anytime you have to do something that you know is going to be very difficult for someone, even if you know that they need it, it's still not easy. We're having a baby in July. I'll, it's my turn for the shots. I'll probably have to do that. It's not going to be easy. And this, so much harder, because he loves these disciples, and he knows he is sending them into a very, very difficult situation. So that what we know then about our king is he does send us into very difficult situations. He does allow hardship to happen in our lives for a purpose, or on purpose, I should say. And what's so comforting about that is this. Number one, that means that hardship does not equal punishment. I think a lot of times when when stuff starts to get out of control in my life, I immediately start thinking, what did I do wrong? What's he mad at? What's what's what did I do here? And that is we just got to get that out of our heads. okay? that that if something is hard, that it's because we made a mistake. Because notice here, uh, they didn't disobey. They were up against that wind. They were exhausted. They were frustrated because they did obey. Because Jesus made them get into this boat and they obeyed and went in the boat. So we, really, we need to realize that if things are hard, it, we should not automatically say God is punishing me. Um, number two, it doesn't mean, we need to know that hardship does not mean abandonment. I love that it says he was watching them. He was watching them the whole time. He had his eyes on them. And so he sends them them into this wind on purpose. In part because he was going to go and he was going to relieve them of their distress. And so given what we see here, not only can we see that Jesus does allow, God does allow hard things to happen to us for a purpose. Okay, or on purpose, I mean. And so now let's look at how we can see these things are always for a purpose. So we know that these things happen on purpose. Now let's look how they, why they happen for a purpose. Look at verse second part of verse 48, and we'll keep going from there. Here's what we want to see. The glory and compassion of God are revealed to us more through hardship and suffering than in any other way. This, is, this next stuff, this is kind of hard to swallow, but you pay me to say hard things, so that's what I'm going to do. Um, the glory and compassion of God are revealed to us more through hardship and suffering than in any other way. You know, Charles Spurgeon, some of you know his name. He was a great 19th century preacher in England, great pastor, great theologian. He used to say that suffering was the best book in his library. Look at verse 48. It says, he meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified now this is very interesting jesus sees them he's going to them and then it looks like he's trying to just kind of pass by and uh it, this is uh it, it's it's not that jesus was just wanting to walk right by we'll see in a minute what was actually happening here and then look at the this this ghost idea why did they get so terrified when they thought they saw a ghost 
Up to this point, they probably weren't all that frightened. I mean, these, a lot of these guys were fishermen. They had probably experienced some of this wind or something like this before. They're most likely uh, exhausted and frustrated. Now they're terrified. Why? Well, because the Jews at this time did believe that if you saw a ghost at night, it was coming to an end. They had this idea that if you saw a ghost at night, that meant you were going to die. So that's why they go from being exhausted and frustrated to suddenly being incredibly terrified. And this just adds to the question of why, why did Jesus send them into this? Why did he send them into the situation where they were going to be so exhausted, so frustrated, and then so absolutely terrified? And that's what's so amazing about what we see here. Ultimately, the purpose, he did it on purpose and for a purpose. And the purpose that he did it for was to reveal to them who he truly is, that he is the Lord God of Israel. This situation is phenomenal. It has all the trappings of what we would call an epiphany, a divine manifestation of God. In the, in the Old Testament, God would reveal himself to his people, and he would do it in the same ways that Jesus is doing it right here. And we see epiphanies in the Old Testament, and you see mountains involved. You usually see God passing by people. You see him revealing his name. And that's what's happening here. It's amazing. Think about this. In Exodus chapter 33, on Mount Sinai, okay, so we got a mountain involved, just like Jesus was on a mountain before he came down to uh, walk out to the guys. So uh, in Exodus 33, you've got a mountain, and God passes by Moses to reveal his name and his compassion. In 1 Kings 19, at Mount Horeb, God passes by Elijah to reveal his presence to him. And then this one. This is so amazing. Look at this. Job, somebody who knew a little bit about suffering. Job 9, 8 through 11. All the answers to these questions are God. Look at this. It says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled, same word as walked, on the waves of the sea? Who made the bear and Orion, the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south? Who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number? uh, Verse 11, Behold, He passes me by, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. One of the things that's so amazing here is the wording uh, for trampled on the sea and the word for passing by are the exact same wording that Mark uses here in our passage. But then think about this. In that situation in Job, you've got someone walking on the water, Uh, It is at night, just like in our situation right now. That's the way the mentioning of the bear and Orion. Those are the stars. Uh, There are miraculous things that have been happening. Jesus has been casting out demons, healing people, feeding the 5,000. Now he's walking on the water. And then Jesus means to pass them by, just like there was passing by here. And here's the clincher. Uh, This uh, passage in Job, it says that as uh, God passes by, he did not recognize him. And that's exactly what happens in our passage. Jesus is coming alongside and they don't know it's him at first. They don't perceive that it's him at first. So you better believe Jesus meant to pass them by, meaning he meant to reveal who he is. He meant for them to see that he is the God of the Old Testament. Look at verse 50, the second part of verse 50 there. It says, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. What's so amazing here is when he says, take heart, it is I. The literal translation of that, the Greek words, ego eimi, he literally says, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. 
And if you know your Old Testament, you know that God has revealed that his name is I am. In Exodus 3, when God called Moses to go and set his people free from slavery in Egypt, Moses says, who should I say is sending me? And God says, you tell them I am has sent you. And so we know that God's covenant name is I am. And now Jesus walks out to them on the water, tells them to take heart. You might recognize that phrase from John 16:33 when Jesus said, "In this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world." It means to have confidence, to be courageous, to be comforted. All that is wrapped up in that saying. And he's, he walks up to them and says, "Take heart, I am." He's saying, you guys think you're about to die? Guess what? I am is with you. That's what he's trying to say here. And and I love that he walks to them on the water. He could have called from the shore. He could have just calmed the storm from the shore. But he walks to them on the water and on the waves to show them what they are so afraid is about to go over their head is already under his feet. And so they see this incredible thing where he gets in the boat and the wind stops. 51, second part of 51 says, and they were utterly astounded. They were beginning to see this man does the things that God does, that only God can do. They're seeing More and more that he is glorious and he's also compassionate. He's a rescuer. He's revealing these things to them. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew says they fell down and worshipped him in that moment. That's what Jesus is revealing to them in this hardship. He sent them into this so that he could reveal who he truly is and what he's like. That he is compassionate. That he is a rescuer. That we can trust our God during Struggles during very difficult situations. Now, Matthew may mention that they worshipped, but Mark takes a different focus. And this is the the hard part uh, that I mentioned here. Look at 52. It says, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So what he's saying is they were astounded. They're absolutely amazed with what Jesus has done. But what we're seeing here is he says, Mark says they didn't understand the loaves, meaning they didn't understand what the feeding of the 5,000 was meant to reveal to them. It was meant to reveal the exact same thing. It was another picture of Jesus doing what only God does. In the Old Testament, God provided manna in the wilderness for his people, just like Jesus in the wilderness provided bread for all these people in the five loaves and two fishes in the feeding of the 5,000. And so that was supposed to reveal to them that Jesus is I am. But if you remember from last week, uh, they were not astounded after that. They were satisfied, but they weren't astounded. If you remember from that story, in the beginning of the the feeding of the 5,000, they haven't eaten, they're starving, and at the end, they've all got, the disciples I'm referring to, they've all got their own basket full of leftovers, and so they are satisfied. But they didn't fall down and worship him. In fact, what's really hard is in that moment, their hearts were hardened. Which 
shows you how messed up our hearts actually are. What this means is if God, our hearts are so messed up because of sin. We talked about Adam and Eve earlier today when we were affirming our faith. When they sinned, like we talked about earlier, that did so much damage to us that if God were to give us everything we wanted, it would actually harden us towards him. Because that's what we saw in that moment where they were fully provided for. They had more than they needed. And Mark is saying that uh, their hearts were actually hardened. And what's scary about this is up till now, only the Pharisees and scribes have been the ones that had hard hearts. If you were to flip back to chapter 3, verse 5, it says Jesus looked at the scribes and the Pharisees with anger because of their hardness of heart. And what this means is that even those of us who are following Christ, like the disciples, have to wrestle with the fact that our hearts can get hard. And what this also means is that Jesus loves you and me enough to put us through hard situations that will end up softening us to his glory. Think about a spoiled child. When was the last time you saw an extremely spoiled child throwing a tantrum in the grocery store? Not only throwing a tantrum, but probably throwing cans of peas and whatnot. And, uh, you know, the, the parent is just so struggling because this child is just completely out of control. And it's because they've been given everything they want. And they're just, they're, they're, they're having a real hard time. And normally when you see a very spoiled child, you're not sitting there going, boy, that child really loves and trusts that parent. told you this is hard god would god loves us too much to just have everything go wonderfully for us because he knows that we need the hardship he he need we need that to see our desperate need of him he reveals himself his glory his love his compassion for us through these very difficult things that we go through and these things soften us and show us our desperate need for god they wake us up in a way like nothing else can and it's what brings about our faith now don't get me wrong i'm not saying that god doesn't reveal who he is, and Jesus doesn't reveal who he is through provision. We did see that in the feeding of the 5,000. It's just that our sin, our hearts are so sinful, so messed up by sin that we need to go through hard stuff to realize we can really trust our Lord. And we see this in this passage and many passages in the Scriptures that hardship reveals God's power and his love in very unique ways. And if that's true, think about this. Uh, why were the disciples so scared? They thought they saw a ghost. If they thought Jesus was a ghost, guess who they weren't looking for? In their distress, in this hardship, in this ridiculously hard moment of their lives, they were not looking for Jesus. And this is something I am praying that the Lord will help me maintain and keep in my heart from this passage. That when I am in something hard, when I'm in something exhausting, when I am terrified, I've got to be looking for Jesus. I've got to keep my eyes out for Jesus and trust that he's going to come. He's going to get in that boat. He's going to calm the storm. And that's why faith is the key. Faith is so important. This is all designed to help us have our relationship with God be entirely through faith. Look at 53 through 56, because what you have here, Mark, shows an incredible contrast. Incredible contrast. You have the, the disciples... Okay, not recognizing Jesus, if they had understood the feeding of the 5,000, they would have been looking for him. 
And instead, what you see is uh, in the 53 through 56, it's a summary of Jesus continuing to display his compassion by healing many more people. But what's so interesting is in verse 54, it says that the people, when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized Jesus. What a contrast. That's how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that as we uh, look at what the Scripture teaches, as we understand more and more of who Jesus is, that should cause us to immediately more immediately recognize him, to see him, to look for him. Where are you in this, Jesus? I know you're doing something in this hard thing right now. I know you're revealing something to me. And the reason we tend not to look for Jesus during hard times is because we neglect to think about what the cross tells us about God. You see, the proof that the glory and compassion of God is revealed to us more through hardship and suffering than any other way is the cross. Look at verse 47 one more time. 47 says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. So you've got Jesus by himself and his disciples far away. What a foreshadowing of not too many chapters later when Jesus will be on a cross and his disciples will have fled. See, the cross is the greatest revelation from God. Everything that we know about God needs to run through the cross. It's the pinnacle of what he's revealed to us. In the cross, we see the holiness of God. We see that he is a just judge, that he must pour out his wrath upon sin. We see the wickedness of our sin and what it deserves. But at the same time, we see God's incredible mercy that he would send his one and only son to take that wrath in our place, to sacrifice himself so that we can have eternal life, so that we can have forgiveness through faith. And then the resurrection, of course, is the proof that God has accepted what Jesus has done so that you and I, through faith, can be forgiven if we will repent and believe. We see this is amazing here. What we see is that God uses Jesus' suffering to bring about the greatest thing ever, the salvation of our souls, our forgiveness, our eternal life by faith. And so when we are in hardship, if we can look through the lens of the cross and realize that when the, the worst thing that's ever happened was the murder of the perfect and innocent Son of God, and if out of that God has brought the greatest reality for us imaginable, then we can know that when we are in hard situations. God is going to bring good things out of those situations. We can trust that God is using these things that we're going through to bring about good things. And if we'll look for Jesus in the storm, if we're not looking for him, we're not going to see him. But if we're looking for him, we're going to see him. And think about this too. It may be, as it was for the disciples, that the scariest thing the scariest part of what they went through was, it turned out to actually be Jesus when they didn't recognize it, recognize that it was him yet. Their most scariest moment, the moment that they cry out was when they thought they saw a ghost, and that actually turned out to be Jesus. So what challenges me about this is I have to think about in the hard things that I'm facing, what is the scariest thing? And what if that happens to actually be Jesus just not quite yet in focus. Maybe um, this hardship that you're experiencing, maybe deep down you know that you need to confess some sin to someone and it's the scariest thing to you. 
But maybe doing so, you'll see, is when Jesus gets in the boat with you. Maybe uh, you're in a situation where uh, you need to admit that you're wrong. And it is so scary for you to do that. But as soon as you do, perhaps you'll experience Jesus getting in the boat with you. Maybe um, it's marriage counseling. Maybe you've been prolonging it. You've been putting it off. You've been having this struggle and you know you probably really just need to go and see a marriage counselor. It's the scariest thing to you. What if in the counseling sessions Jesus gets into your boat? What if you're not a believer? What if you are someone who has never truly repented and believed and maybe you are in a situation where uh, you are attracted to some of the things about Christianity but the scariest thing in your whole mind is giving up something that you know the Bible says is something you'd have to give up in order to cling to Jesus. What if you gave it up, repented of your sin and believed in Jesus and you experienced him getting into your boat? Whatever it is, we can trust God. And whatever storm you're in, look for Him. He's coming. And He'll calm that storm. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You that Your Word uh, not only tells us that You have ordained hard things for us, but it also calls us to hard things. It's hard to believe that about You. And I know, Father, that some of us are going through difficult things. Some of us are going through very, very hard things. Some of us are in the battle of our lives. And I just pray, Lord, would you help us be a people that looks for Jesus in the storm? A people that knows he's coming. A people that expects him to come. And a people that knows that he is equal in power and glory with you and the Holy Spirit. And once he's in our boat and we experience the tremendous peace that we can only find in Christ, would you help us to proclaim this amazing news to the world? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.